I'm gonna play the intro and then we'll get popping. Yeah? Play that intro. Mike and Armand Joe, Queez, we the ones that you can depend on to bring the voices from the inside out. Lie down, but they not locked out. No filter over here. Check what we be talking about. Feet up in the trenches, Bob. While you're on the fences, metal detector before you enter. Shaky medical and see your stitches. They be pushing their weight around. Educate, didn't have the time to wait around. Taking classes while they played around. That's what we call staying down. What we call staying down. That's what we call staying down. Mike, Armand, Joe, Queez. Gang in this bitch, 10K phone. 10K phone, man. Gang in this mother. So feel good to see y'all face again. What's happening? Misfit Adi, 10K phone. Armand, what's happening? Pretty boy Poos. I'm locked down, but I'm not locked out. Come I'm on. on Poos face, pretty locked boy Poos. Puerto Rican Poos when I got that tan. Eskimo <laughs> hose is how it goes. Armand, uh, dot. Poost and Armand Poostman on LinkedIn when you try to feel professional. I'm great. I'm in a different place and a different type of institution. We'll get to that. Mike, yes. how are you doing, the artist? Oh, man. As always, just trying to even figure out the answer to that question. But as we settle in, I want to say for the listeners, it is January 20th, 2021. Probably at this point, if you're hearing us, you will just yesterday would have been, I don't even know, a few months ago, an episode shift. But today, right now, is a historical day. The first woman is becoming vice president of America, a black Asian American woman. So that's exciting. But yeah, wanted to know that we are in a different place than we were before. But I'm chaotic good. This is a moment. We we're having a moment together. And I was teaching school first high school and then college this morning and i gotta take the dog for a walk and i gotta get myself to the battle movements and stuff and we're ready to go tin can phone revival what's going on you two give us a day in the life armand we'll start with armand we'll go reverse clockwise that mom what's up you wearing a pink little jumpsuit you in the pink jail what's up yeah for those that are obviously listening which is mostly everyone i'm wearing a nice pink scrubs outfit Kind of like I'm a nurse, but no formal training. Reboot of Scrubs, 2021 Scrubs? <laughs> Something like that. But um, I'm coming live and direct from my studio, a.k.a. a residential treatment program for drugs and alcohol. Children, they are bad. Do not do them. You'll end up in Scrubs in a room by yourself. But yeah, this is what I'm, this is my life right now. It's going to be my life like this for a couple more months. Again, we'll expand on this the more we talk, but this kind of addiction thing is, is something that I've been dealing with for years. And uh, through even parts of Tin Can Phone, there's definitely times where I was very much not in my right head. Off his and, rocker. Uh, I was there, though. Yeah. Off his rocker. I mean, I think important thing to shine some light on is like, here we are now, which I said, like, you're like, what's up with me? I'm like, right here, right now. But this is a right, this right here, right now is significant for a lot of different reasons. But as far as listeners are concerned, or me talking to you, this is an important moment for you in your life. And in the context that we're here exploring, this dude is doing the work. So uh, congratulations to you, my pink clad friend. Yeah, yeah. Choosing life. You know, keeping it simple, one day at a time, fill in the other cliches. Queez, 
you got some sickness in you too, man. I know yeah. uh, you can talk about that for us too, though. Please elaborate. You know, that's not the biggest, <laughs> you know, thing going on in my life. But yes, the quiz has tested positive for the Rona. Oh, God. Um, the quiz has tested positive for the Rona. But, you know, my experience is just a little different. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put out there like the Rona is not real. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put out there like the Rona is not real because it most definitely is. And you know, something that's interesting too, right when the moment of Quee's asking you was like you and I, and I say this to people too, because I feel like I have a lot of privilege. I am also the primary demographic to get Corona, both by being black and have being low income. You know what I mean? Like when people are like, oh, whatever, I'm going to go do this, go do that. It's like, this is real shit. You know what I mean? And you yeah. live with like a thousand people, don't you? So it's like that in itself has like, yeah, you live with a lot of folks. So that in itself can get crazy. My experience is just not the experience that read about online and all the, the scary stories that I heard. Like, that's not my experience. My experience, I was out for one day. I got it at work. And it, ironically, I had to quit my job because of it. The way that they, the way that they dealt with how they handled the corona, like they didn't provide the proper tools to protect us. Mm-hmm. Um, I was building trusses, so it was a warehouse situation where you're next to people the entire day. Like it's a team effort to even build those trusses. And um, well, one of my coworkers just, you know, I heard his wife bought, she worked, she was a dental assistant. The dentist that she worked with had corona, right? So she, I don't know if she got tested or not, but that's close enough where you're in the room with this dentist, you're helping him, you're his assistant. And then his daughter carpooled to school with the neighbors who tested positive for Rona. But my boss for my shift was just like, well, just don't tell anybody. He got mad that my coworker told me like, hey, cut, like keep your distance. Don't use my hammer. You know, he like was just putting me up on game. Now, my girl have an immune disease. So it's like, I can't just play around with maybe getting it, maybe not get, like, nah. So I pulled my boss up like, look, I heard through the warehouse that this person may have it. This per- And this is my table lead. So I'm on the table with him. And um, he got mad. My boss got mad and was like, got yelled at the dude, like called a meeting after our shift. If you're scared of Corona, then this probably ain't the place for you. We're not scared of Corona here. You come to work. If you get it, you're out for two weeks and you come back. We're not rumors and all this other. So I was just like peeping how he handled the situation. Right. And I'm peeping that. Okay. All the Trump flags in the office, all the Trump flags in the warehouse. I'm the only person of color here. You feel me? Like, so I'm like, oh, this this ain't for me. Like <laughs> just his whole get down, even if it's not Corona, what if it's something else, a medical issue? Or what if it, it could be anything? Your, yeah. But your response to the Corona is, you know, real patriot-like. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to quit my job, bro. I quit, I quit. I just like, I can't play with my wife. Can't play with my health. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna take it. And I still ended up getting it anyway. So, but like, I was only out for one day where, you know, body pains, you know, uh, stuff, you know, that I had, oh, I had a fever for like two days, but I've been still just like my energy up. I haven't felt spurs of tiredness. You know, I didn't smell, taste. I got all that, but my wife actually got Corona too. And um, she lost her smell and her taste and she got it. Cause she's a soldier. Like once we seen, I was sick. I was like, we going to quarantine. I'm going to just be in the room. You be in the living room. You feel me? And, but 
you know, her being who she is, she like, man, I can't do that. Like, you feel me? I got to take care of you. So big soups and, and, you know, she's still coming in TLC. So she ended up getting it also. And, you know, even though she have, she got a little worse than me, her lungs, you know, she on her inhaler tough right now. She can't smell or taste it's like mm-hmm. since Friday or like last week on Tuesday or something like that. But, you know, we still go on our jogs. We still, you know, we got, oh, bruh, our dog got, <laughs> the dog really? got Interesting. The dog. I heard that cats could get it, but I didn't know about dogs. Listen, she was throwing up all her food. She couldn't eat. Like she's a puppy. She's three months. So you know she's biting right now. She Mm. wasn't biting nothing. She wasn't, she was sleeping. Like me and her on the couch knocked out together. And then, you know, baby just like, man, Imani haven't really, she haven't really been moving around it. Like she had a like sad, droopy look on her face. After like a week, she snapped back. She now she's back to her normal ways, but like. Yeah, the, the dog got corona, bro. Yeah. But it's most definitely a serious thing. Like her friend, grandma just passed away. Rest in peace to her. You know, we we have experience, you know, on the deaf side of this. So it's most definitely a, a serious situation. We have just been blessed with mouse symptoms. And I, I did a drive through test at CVS. Like just drive through right there and do it yourself type shit. And mm. uh, yeah, and, and when it came back, you know, even though I had already figured out I had it, I was already on the yeah. downslope about time the test came back positive, yeah. And now I'm just, I'm still thugging. Sure. I mean, that's an interesting story. And I said when we, when you had mentioned it before, that it may be the closest, like I have had some folks have it, but it's a little bit further away. But as it's related to this project or whatever, the context are overlapping there. It's just, as you described it, really also kind of elucidated the systemic components. You're like, oh, I'm good, but it also, here's how it happened. Bad. Here was the footprint of the effect, all this stuff that I think people are probably not super aware of. I mean, and I'm a little bit unplugged lately, but I haven't sought out, nor have I heard much of like personal accounts beyond like famous people being like, oh, I got the Corona. But you know, are not, that's, that's like a weird disparate nebular universe where what we're talking about, and again, the context we're talking about it in, it is primarily affecting people who are in incarcerated conditions or close. Um, and how it affects the life of someone, right? Facing post-incarceral context to need to quit the job, all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing, though. You did say- yeah, It was like, I battled though. I battled Mike, like, cause I'm like, I'm not in a position to just quit a job. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Like I am a, a recently incarcerated, stand on those. I don't hide that. Like that's something that I present to bosses. That's something that anywhere I go, you need to know that this, you need to know this about me because right. it's gonna help you understand why I react to situations in a certain way, in a certain light. And not only am I recently incarcerated, I am so tied into the ones that are still incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was like, it was a life decision. like. I even thought about it for a couple of days where I'm like, I'm gonna just keep going to work. Like I got to, how do I not? It ain't like I could just go and get another job. I gotta go through, have you committed a felony? I gotta go through, you know, all these different steps again. So, and uh, I still don't have a job right now. I mean, clearly I've been sick, but it was a hard decision. Cause I'm like, I'm gonna just risk it for the money. I'm gonna just risk it to be able to have a job after this shit. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, when, when you got somebody else that you in the household with, that may not be able to deal with it as good as you, you make those decisions. But like being recently incarcerated played a big part because I it, it played in my head the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. damn, am I gonna, they gave me a chance. Like they gave me a chance. They didn't look at my record. I can't quit. I have to be here. Like there's like, there's no other option. I have to be here. But yeah. ultimately 
you know, you got, you know, health. Cause if I'm not healthy, how can I work anyway? And mm-hmm. if my partner not healthy, then how, how, you know, that's disrespectful for me to just stay in a place where I know they don't care, where right. I know that they're not making us wipe nothing down, no bleach solutions, no, none of that shit. Just your shift over next shift. Come on, see you in the morning. And it's interesting too, how you described it and every layer of it, because it was clear that the foreman or whatever this person is like, was ignoring some of that stuff to get the bottom line, the capitalism didn't look at your record. And so people who are facing post-incarceral context are forced into these situations, similar to migrant workers that are not ideal, that are dehumanizing and actually spread the disease and are also kind of like, again, this Trumpian perspective at the world where there's some bottom line that isn't above your health, happiness and well-being. So well, it's cr- well, it's just, I mean, what's crazy and what's unique to this country and some other countries, but like how this Rona virus got so politicized, especially in America. And a lot of, you know, I have, I got friends and family all around the world and Mm -hmm. just to see the different contexts and how they dealt with it is just crazy because nowhere else really did they politicize it like they did here in the States. And that was a lot of different reasons. I mean, it it was political season, president season. It was, you know, a lot of different layers and one more point to that too is uh earlier in the coronavirus i'm gonna pull out fake facts from my uh behind real quick guys in the place he's in isolation he ain't got no facts okay. <laughs> pulling out some fake facts and there's an article that i read that was uh it was eight out of ten corona cases in oregon were in the prison system right and now with the prison system now it's crazy how you see it as a machine because, you know, with all the, the political things that are happening here in Portland, police, obviously, they don't feel respected by most sides. Facts. So true crime that's happening isn't being responded to. But then also, um, you know, people are being uh, kind of looked over and it's just a, a shit show to say the least. I mean, and that was yeah. a reason for like popping in the date, right? Because whenever this is catches the airwaves it will probably remain contemporary in context or concept also that like in this time at least for us and or or you know this we're all on the western part of the nation and Mm -hmm. is they're doing a lot of like houseless sweeps and all kinds of stuff and like one of my partners also their car got stolen and like the cops like found it but it was like already messed up you know like the graffiti scene is kind of epic right now like it's a whole vibe it's not just one thing and and something we're excited about to even be able to shine light on in the show is like what this fractal the currently in post-incarceral context kind of how that is interwoven in all these different things but yeah, that fact that I did not know of, whether it is real or fake, but close, is staggering. And I think that even mirrors my own felt experience where, you know, Queez is in Cali and like I was the closest person that I knew either like personally or even geographically because I knew of someone personally, but they're on the East Coast. So there's a lot of dudes behind gates and something that I've also seemed to realize and maybe even can shine a light back on Armand is like, there's a lot of like sentencing that's like chilled out. Like they're not doing court stuff, but I think they're even afraid to shove more people in jail right now, which is like just them having a release valve, but isn't in service of anyone. But I am seeing dudes like who have court cases pending and like 
they're just paused because of everything going on, but like we'll lock them up when it's safe. Well, yeah, like I got a pending DUI and I've had three court dates. This happened back in September of 2020. I've had like three court dates. It's been, I'm going to say this as someone that's been to court many of times, the best court experience ever. It's been via Zoom. So my court has been brought to you by Zoom. I put on a button up shirt and it's each time I've walked into the virtual courtroom, 30 seconds, push it off. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, <laughs> I think it shows what happens when you make a machine to put people away. And then once you realize that, like, you know, because I, I think they're thinking lawsuits. I think they're thinking, like, what are we going to do with all these people that catch it inside? And they're like, oh, God, let's turn the machine down a little bit because. Uh, well, Governor Brown has um signed off and it's official that she's shutting down three prisons, three minimums. Really? I didn't hear about down, that. Yeah, yeah, she's shutting down Warner Creek, Shutter Creek and Mill Creek. So she like, we're not waiting for no other sign off. We're not waiting for it's done. We're oh, shutting these prisons down and it's supposed to save Oregon $44.2 million. I bet. Shutting down those three prisons. But also, like I said, I'm connected with the guys inside. So we know BG just came home free BG tell BG free. He was just in there where, you know, they have units that anybody that catches the Rona or that has runner like symptoms get sent to these units. And understanding that DOC, Department of Corrections, medical have always been in question. It has always been a shaky, it's always been the shakiest part of the system in the rope, in the machine. Ironically, that's the part of the system that's been the least, you know, invested in. So he was at EO to be exact, Eastern, Eastern Oregon. Oregon. And yeah, like they, you, they got units, every unit is modified lockdown, no yard, you're not going to the yard. And if the times they do allow them to go to the yard is one unit at a time. So it's isolation, you on that unit, you round the same 90 people, like when you go to yard, when you go to chow, everything is you in your unit. And if you happen to do catch it, then you're gonna get sent to one of the three units that's pretty much just, you know, runified and medical can't do anything. Medical been haven't been doing anything except making us gargle salt water. So if you get to that unit, it's like just hope that your immune system is strong enough yeah. oh my to fight it off to get back to another unit. But you're going to be there for 21 to 30 some days before you can even get reviewed to go to a regular unit again. You know, because after the thing, after, because so once I got tested, they said it's, you just get better and you don't get tested again because some trace of the virus will be in your system for at least 90 days after you heal from it. So that's why they say just quarantine 14 or quarantine for 21 days and get back to your normal life. Because if you get tested again, it's going to come back positive because some trace of the virus will be in your system for up to 90 days. Yeah. And then supposedly once you catch it, your immune system or something build up to it to where you can't catch it again for six to eight months or something like that. I do not know if that's true or not, but this is just what the doctors yeah. or the, the little paper was telling me. And that's part of it. I do think they're learning, but essentially something that is interesting, unlike chicken pox, which you can only catch once, mm -hmm. this is not certain to be that. In fact, it is actually, I'm under the impression that the second time you get sick is more debilitating than the first. Facts. And as you were talking about with your partner, Queez, like there are lasting effects that are present. 
that due to health complications could cause death. The thing that's interesting to what you described about this quarantine wing is if you have to be in there for a month, you could be healed. But the thing that I know about the virus load is it's high concentrated there because yeah. people are just breathing in an enclosed space. So it is really just festering. I mean, and this is how the bubonic plague, you know, it's like these things we know how they work. Yeah, and so it's we, exciting to hear about the legislation to close some prisons, but something that has felt challenging as, as we dig into this project and the different projects that I'm like working on and learning more about the system is it doesn't change fast enough to save fast. lives. Um, well, yeah, yeah. yeah well, no, going. that's it. I mean, it was almost even in our reverence, you, Armand, because like you are thankfully for you and them and everything in a quarantine situation but also is the only reason we're even able to record this is because Armand hasn't been sucked into the system yet but is the necessary his solo isolation is necessary for health and safety and that is not being cultivated in an incarcerated context yeah and th this is for the residential treatment program real quick just to give you a breakdown is like bring it, bring got to it. the door they gave us a Corona test. You, you had to be negative. Once you're negative, you're in detox for five days, do that. And now I'm in a uh, room by myself for seven days quarantine. And, you know, thank God I have a cell phone and thank God they're letting me use it. So I'm getting in the bringing my food. So this isn't any way like being locked in, in the, in the box. This is luxury compared to that. The pink scrub. <laughs> Oh, it, they lost my clothes, but you know, they, they, they laced me up. Yo, can you describe, I've been on the phone with this dude. He like came out of the woodwork and he's like, I hit rock bottom. I'm like, yes, dog, let's get back to this project. And then he disappeared. And then he's like, I hit rock bottom still again. And I'm like, dog, all right. Um, but he's like, but they lost my outfit. So I've been on the phone with him and he's talking to the nurses. Can you, I, I, you're like, sorry, Mike. I'm like, this is hilarious. But can you tell us about your fit? You were, you, and how you packed and you got ready to be in your experience. It's a good story. Well, yeah. Well, note for those at home, when you're on certain, um, street pills and liquor, you don't really think right. So I brought about, I will say four jackets, three shirts, and no boxers, no jeans, and no socks, because I didn't need any of that. I came in with one outfit, including Did that. It. <laughs> they lost it. They lost Nick it, Rick. man. And the insanity, man. Pure but insanity. I just, I'm sitting here looking at you, Armand, and I, I'm just thinking, like, why does it look so much like a cell? Like, as soon as I seen, I'm like, damn, Armand is in his cell, which makes me think of school to prison pipeline. And then it's like, schools looks exactly like prison. Oh. I'm talking about paintings on the wall. It's murals on the wall. Like, it looks so pretty. Hallways. And, yeah, and like the hallways and free roaming. Thank God that it's free roaming at minimums now. You could go in and out as you want. But when you walking in and you just see people walking back and forth from the yard to the unit with all these murals and they're in groups, like it looks fun. It looks it looks like school. And then Everyone's I'm looking at- yeah. Everyone, whenever people come in and that conversation, even in the, the segments you were doing with Joe, you know, like people would say that they come in, they're like, wow, you know, people are walking around, you know, Facts. they have this Facts. like shocking experience, but they don't, it takes a while actually to really get it. Yeah. And, but, and then, but like looking at our mind at a rehab where, you know, you posted rehab and, and rehabbing is mental, right? How you feel 
the things you're thinking about. And as far as like a recently incarcerated person to be in a rehab place like that, I would consistently think about jail. Just being in the scrubs, the scrub is a Monoma County situation. You know what I mean? It's a county situation when you're in those scrubs. You don't get jeans and a shirt till you get it's to It's a prison. Coffee Creek situation coffee too, Creek. you know what I mean? And uh, it's like, it's even the institutionalized for those that can't see, like facts. I go straight to tucking them in, you know, into my socks. Facts. I have my own style with my scrubs, which is sad, but like, it's like, no, I need my scrubs to look this way. So I'm fresh on the scene, like, exactly. you know? So you're, you instantly went to an institution way of thinking. Because as yeah. soon as you get in there, how I gotta how I'm gonna fix minds? Like we all got the same thing. How can I make minds just a little bit different? But I'm thinking of the mental side of it of how can I really be thinking about getting better when I'm looking like and I'm feeling like and I'm in a place that was the most stressful for me. Like I feel like like I when I'm looking at you, it took me into an institution instead of mine. Like me looking at you put me back in the pen or back in, in, in incarceration. And I'm just thinking like, damn, how can I think about being clean? How can I think about, you know, the the pressures and the things in my life that I have to face when I literally feel and look like I'm back in jail? Do that affect you, Armand? Well, I mean, it has, cause it's like, it's, it's the same thing. It's like when I caught the DUI and I just started mentally getting ready to get locked up. It's like, I started like, you look at my bed and it's the same thing at my granny's house when I got kicked out of my apartment. I started making my bed the same way every morning. I started, you know, I've already done, I'll say cell workouts. I'm going to call it room workouts, but I already have my towel situated a certain way so that I can do my little thing in here, roll my scrubs up a certain way so I can do push-ups and do this and that. So it brings you right back there. But But also I think it might be easier for you too when you can adapt like that. Like, so it's easier for you when they, you know, certain people, when they get in those rooms by themselves, they are forced to face certain things mentally. We all know solitary confinement could get to and break some of the strongest minds. But for somebody like you to walk in there and be like, okay, we here, baby. Like, hang my towel right there. I got my push-up time. Uh, you feel me? Bur- I'm talking about bird baths. I don't know if you got a toilet in the sink in the room with you, but, you know, the bird bath. But, like, it made it easier for you. And it's it's a horrible thing that you were so comfortable so fast because – like you said, even at your granny house, you made up your bed as if you was in an institution. As soon as you caught your case, mm. you mentally went back. Like you mentally went back and that energy, just think of the energy that that carries. Like you were literally a walking inmate. You were a free inmate. You were mentally incarcerated before you, you may not even get incarcerated. Like they're shutting prisons down. <laughs> they're shutting jails down. You feel me? Like right. they might get dropped in a couple months. Yeah, yeah, dude, and it's it's true, dude. It's because, and that was, I mean, part of the fuel for reigniting my ignition. Because I've been in recovery since I went in. I didn't know about recovery until I hit the walls, right. and it's almost like I was self-destructing. Like, like the only thing I can control right now in this world is what the hell is gonna happen to me, and I'm gonna burn this down because I do it great. You know, I do a great job at getting in my own way. So it's like. If I'm going to do this, we're going to do it my way because y'all going to do your thing anyway. So I might as well just go this way and do it my way. Just a really toxic way of thinking, to say the least. You literally said something that I've been on so much is you said you great at getting in your own way to identify that, bro. That's so big, because most of the time, the choices that we make when we say it, we get that it, um, gene. It never ruins anybody else. It ruins us all the time. 
but even in like the smallest context to be able to identify with getting in my own way like I feel like maybe not right now but that's a conversation that needs to be had because that's part of my healing because mm-hmm. the thing that I've done the most and, and done a lot is got in my own way and you know ruined great opportunities for myself so I just you said it and it caught me keep identifying with that Armand I mean, y'all are both saying a lot of really interesting things. And I that point you brought up about the institutional mindset is pretty fascinating. I'm glad that you latched onto it in this moment because like, while I understand it easily by your explaining, it was not something that I was thinking about or would have sussed out given what Armand said, but that is something that is, well, there's a couple layers to that and something that's not quite directly related to that, but something that's exciting is that Mon is like in there. And as you, and the kind of what you were just drawing out, you're like seeing the pattern and wanting to correct it and so that's when when mine caught up to me i was like yo like we need to archive this like we got a lot of archive that's got a little a little drool on it or something uh (laughs) but let's get some of that polish this is the pre-polish so we're excited about that but also kind of again we've been and brilliantly i might add especially kind of pinging some of our past episodes really sussing out how the prison system starts in the schools it's designed the same there's not a lot of money invested in certain parts of it that involve like health wellness and well-being there though still it's a million dollar business someone is cashing a check it is people in power something that you also said way back when you were talking about yard time i was thinking about watching roots and how they would march the slaves out on the slave ship and their shackles to do their dance or whatever to the drum just to keep their bodies from atrophying, right? Mm -hmm. This kind of stuff is morbid and disgusting. And so it's important for us both to like elucidate it, to draw some kind of common analogousness to the today, the right now, but also in that again, like we wanted to do this episode today right now as like a revival of this project. Again, thinking about, the gaps in how they were recorded, but though they will be streamed in order, we're also grappling with all this life stuff that is also a part of the project in a way inadvertently, but at least we have an opportunity to shine a light on these things. And so was again for the audience, like a reason for us, like meeting of minds in this moment. And again, this kind of interesting premise of, um, or that the way that you had described getting in one's own way, part of even, again, where we're, we're like reconvening, we're jumping off, Armand is in pursuit of healing, but is also interesting because we've lost a comrade. Yes. Since both to ambiguousness as an on-air component, but also like we lost a life. Um, someone who's a part of the team, a part of the family, has been a part of the original recordings of this project. And so all of that will kind of get drawn out. But the reason I'm like pinging it is that this system is designed to destroy lives and it destabilizes people who are already destabilized. And if people have come up, they get raised up, you know, Dave's killer bread and the whatever. But that is the unlikely story. The more likely story is kind of the burnout or people who are already in this pattern of getting in their own way. And there's no kind of like cultivation of anything that can be sustainable. So the, the next kind of curiosity I have or something that may have even ha- happened now, but happened yesterday, I'm curious, Queez, if there's anything from our conversation yesterday that feels relevant to be a part of the archive of this project. It is up well, to you is the reason for me not telling uh, what 
make sense. Uh, well, you you know we really so you know whatever you feel is is useful for. I mean, you hey, hey, I ain't got nothing to hide. Let's go. For me, what I took away from it ultimately, and me and Armand had a conversation after me and you. I called Armand and we talked for a little while, and um, but ultimately, what kept coming up to me was like, damn, like when you dealing with real life, a lot of programs, a lot of volunteers, a lot of um people. They say that they're for us, they're with us. It's all good until we come home and they have to truly see the downside of us. Usually when we're in prison, we're practicing being the best us. We're practicing presenting us in the best light. But then when you come home and the vices that were there to get you put in that situation in the first place is there. Not everybody's mentally ready because nobody should ever be locked up or nobody should ever be incarcerated. But sometimes it rescues people. Some people get a rescue and not arrested. Yep. So it all depends on how you look at it. But like for you, and me and Armand agree, like you, what we call a stay down. And I think me and you even spoke on it that our relationship ain't built off of 10 Can Phone. 10 Can Phone is a product of our relationship. Mm. Um, I was telling, I was telling, you know, my partner, I was like, I literally was in a place to do again what I've always done. And that's throw great relationships away because I'm okay being alone. So with our situation, even it wasn't, you know, no fisticuffs or anything like that, even though it felt that way mentally, it felt like it was a mental fight. Not only me fighting you mentally, but me fighting myself. Yeah. And then it was just like, in the middle of you talking, my partner was like, he cares about you. Like ultimately he cares about you. Like that's literally all it is. And if you notice in the middle of it, I shut down and then I allowed a vulnerable real life me, not Queez, not, you know, James came and was able to listen because I'm arguing with somebody who give a fuck about me. <laughs> like I'm arguing with somebody who cares about me, about caring about me, self-sabotage. Ultimately though, that's what I do in our mind. That's why I mentioned getting in your own way. My ego was leading the conversation. You know, it could be a trigger word. I don't know which word it was, but just a trigger word and hearing your passion that took me to the back alley in the in the hood, ready to box. Like, hold on, who the f talking to? When ultimately, I only heard the tone of your voice. I didn't hear what you was actually saying because after I replayed it, you never said nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. It was literally my the toxic masculinity and the ego that I heard the raise of the voice. He must think I'm a sucker. He must think I'm a what they would call like a bitch or a punk or he must think. You feel me? And like, ultimately you arguing and you yelling at me because you care. And we talked about friends and we talked about being able to accept true friends. A lot of us always say, we want to, I want an honest friend. I want a real friend. I want somebody that's going to tell me what's real. I want somebody that's not going to just agree with me. And then when we get those things, we use those same exact qualities against that person to, to ruin that friendship. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it wasn't even about Cause the, it's not even a beef, but the difference in the disconnect wasn't nothing like Michael did something to me or I did something to Michael. It was literally both of us strongly feeling about something and not even knowing that we agreed on what was going on. Like we kind of understood once it was broken down that no, I agree with you, but because of the tone of the voice or because of how it played out, it felt like draining to me it felt like a mental boxing match like we just mm -hmm. and it literally with just a conversation that should have happened a month ago could have just been you know like 
not not it, it should have never went there but for me personally that taught me it taught me to not let the ego drive the conversation it taught me that like just because somebody got a strong opinion like it, it don't have to be a fight like you don't have to ruin every friendship because that same situation is the situation that normally it would have been over with like i would have your number would have been erased like we're not like there's no nothing else to talk about there is not going to be another conversation like you feel me like that's where i would have normally took it and that would have been a a great relationship ruined over a misunderstanding yeah. it helped me become a man in a sense to where with my other situations and my other friends like i can actually go into it understanding the importance of conversation, the importance of communication, the importance of understanding. So like I took a, something totally different out of it. Like that's growing a growing spur for me. That shit was like a growing moment for me. Cause I was, I was reacting in a boyish way. Mm-hmm. I was reacting in a boyish way, whether justified or not, I was reacting in a boyish way. And uh, by the end of it, you know, I was able to look at it in a manly manner. So it was a learning curve for me. Yeah, and I appreciate both like the way you've talked about it or claimed it as being a part of your life, but also the way we're able to talk about it now, not just like as an audience, but from an almost removed way. Because, and I, I'm sure for listeners are like, what happened? It's like, the, actually the facts are irrelevant, actually. And that's kind of, it was interesting because during the conversation, I was trying to use things that happened as an example of just pointing to my point, but that became triggering. And I'm sure in my own process there's like a better way or in my own body there's like a way to be more at ease with it that I being the said- toxicness it was it was kind of my toxicness because that's what people do you when you when you write a thesis paper you say your point and then you show evidence right so but for me coming from toxic situations and toxic relationships you showing evidence is you trying to keep score are you throwing this up in my face or so what the fuck you mean you feel me yeah. it was never and that's what i'm saying by it show me like mm-hmm. I was in that wrong in that situation because I was coming from a toxic point of view instead right. of a get an understanding point of view. In real life, when you say something, you got to have evidence. You can't just say it. Right. So what you was you using them points was you showing like, this is how I feel. And then this is why. Mm-hmm. But because of my toxicness, right. it was you pointing a finger at me and everything is my fault now, which means I can never accept it because now right. you're pointing a finger at me. It's hard for and- cutting off. No, no, no. I mean, I think it's all part of the lesson, right? Which is also like a struggle from this show's history. The cutting off was like so ego driven. And now we're working together for in service of the audience and ourselves. And that's like what we're here for. And that's even both what you're saying or I'm trying to communicate for each of us, but also for the audience is like, this is what the process is. And I didn't embark on this mission knowing that this was the process is. I too am learning this process, but in both trying to hold the project together and beyond the project lives being lost the learning curve is steep but i'm like ready to go and in that you know as i grapple with this because at no point am i just like oh this is how it goes and i don't think i'll feel that way later either even though i i have the wisdom of it you know i'm literally in my own therapy just dealing with my own life but these relationships and communications is a part of a thing I mean, as we've talked about the show, we want to communicate, Tin Can Phones, all about getting that common understanding. Let's elevate, let's grow. And so that is happening in my own life on many fronts in my relationships or my working relationships and all those things. And one of the most, not most challenging, but most dynamic or on the range of highly dynamic is the relationships specifically coming from incarcerated context and or less just abbreviated to trauma because sometimes that's with young people and in my partnered relationships 
was this trauma. And so it was something that happened in, in therapy that was fascinating for me because I was like talking about this. I'm like, oh, well, you know, this is just how it is. I'm setting some kind of boundaries around it, which was like what all that distance was. It was like, well, I'm over here. Y'all got my number. That's where you know where to find me. But I need to be over here for myself. But, you know, my therapist, he said, well, just so you know, and this is my uh, therapist voice. Uh, <laughs> just, just so you know, you know, people who grow up using drugs or having trauma they get their development cognitive development gets locked into that place and so i am dealing with like a grown man but the situation is defaulting into this dynamic that is like fight or flight certain patterns that were survivable in the past and the, and ultimately this situation where the door is closed and will not and cannot be opened again and so that is challenging to navigate and i think you know we are all in a situation where some of those doors may be closed to us in a way that we're not excited about we do sit in a position of being able to open these doors to other people or ourselves and it is almost painful and or tumultuous to navigate that and figure out and build those tools. However, uh, like we said, the stay downer is like, there is no other way. And a lot of these ways are known. You know, I met a dude who is like one of those halfway house guys who's like the den mother dude. And, you know, he's got that like pecs through the jacket kind of situation going kind of like tight orientation. He's just ready to go. But he has a fascinating story. And he's like, I was in a gang. And, you know, like I went through this program and I'm the success story. We know what to do. And the dude was like trying to get to the kids and all the stuff. And these systems are preventing him from doing that work. There's either there's no money, there's no space. You can't come here. And so he's like, this is our money. This is our food. We are feeding the kids. We know how to solve this stuff right this my therapist and i've talked about in cultural context before he's like i used to work in a prison so he gets it and so he's telling me this stuff right and i'm just learning it <laughs> but as this culture and a society we know it and in many ways we're not doing it and so everything we talked about today we're just trying to amplify that we're trying to get the tin can foam from one side of the fence to the other for ourselves and for our listeners but yeah so yeah all of the things in this episode were like this is where we're at right now. We are like picking ourselves up off of a bottom, hopefully the last and kind of stepping forward to the next step. And that's why I was like, Armand, let's, let's get on the, the can phones. Um, let's get on these. Cause so, so Michael, not for yourself to archive it for yourself, but for everyone too. It's important. I have to take this time to say rest in peace to my brother, Ben. Yeah, um, please rest in know, peace. Benjamin Hall. Yes, sir. Um, he was a wonderful person, wonderful mind, wonderful being. And um, the reason why it's so important, uh, we lost our brother to drugs, to an overdose. I have to say rest in peace to my brother Moon, another recently incarcerated real brother who, you know, was really looking for the difference, really looking for change. He come from them Providence neighborhoods. He come from, you know, 15 years plus in prison and gang banging. And he really was somebody that was, you know, after change and, and was really almost there. And we recently lost my brother to drugs uh, overdose. So our mind is important that, you know, you take this time to really, you know, find yourself and, and not find yourself, re-find yourself, get re-in love with yourself and um, rebuild yourself. Because 
it was never you. It was it was literally an addiction that had you, you know, spiring like that because I seen you and I know you um, without drugs. I know you without an audience. I know you without 15 people around. I've walked last with you in the pen, just me and you. Me and you took a stroll through downtown Portland just because we wanted to walk and spend that time together. And I know you. So I know the mind that you are. I know the heart that you have. I know the being that you are. You, you've laced me with so much game about, you know, just business and getting money and f- love and family. And, you know, so like, it's important that you're there right now. It's funny. We're laughing at the scrubs, you know, all the things. But we are literally losing brothers out here. And, you know, beyond the police brutality and, and, and to our incarceration is drugs drugs and alcohol that, that, you know, they all go hand in hand, brother. So I salute you for, for being strong enough to even be there and to be going through what you're going through right now. Just know it's a nation that you're carrying. It's a nation that you're carrying by people being able to see your downfall and see rock what rock bottom look like for you. Maybe that'll stop somebody else from having to hit rock bottom. Cause most of the time it's a choice. You know, we choose like, this is the path we on because that fucking gene and is sometimes it takes for something tragic to happen for us to try to make a change and by then it's yeah man it's, it's crazy because at one point i showed up at my mom's house and i was acting reckless i don't even recall really even anything that happened and she called the police on me mm-hmm. and i ran and did the race and got away but i was i even while I was in here, I still had animosity. Like, we don't call the police on each other, mom. Like, what are you doing? You want to see me in prison again for five years on some bullshit? Because I was, give me a harassment charge here. And then I go locked up and you have to see me wearing a blue shirt and blue jeans. And she told me, she said, Armand, I drive past Finley, which is in Southwest Portland. It's a, it's a cemetery every day. And I see your sister up there. She's dead because of addiction, you know? She ain't ever coming out. She OD'd on her 23rd birthday. And she said, I'd rather have seen Hillary in prison for five, 10, 15 years than have to drive by that every single day and see her dead. So I'm fighting for for it now. And going back to another brother that we lost that was a huge part of this project, Ben. um, I'd like Michael to give context as to like who Benjamin Hall was and kind of explain that because he was a very special person to say the least. Indeed. Yeah. And I, just to even echo your situation, I agree of its importance and thanks uh, Queez for raising that up and contextualizing it again for us and the listeners. And there was another thought, but maybe I'll, I'll recall it for the end end, but yeah. So Ben, you know, our brother, when this project began, it was inside and before it was tin can phone, it was, great american dialogues question mark does this show have a name uh that was the everything um and in that phase of it armand was interviewed interviewed i think 12-ish guys and interviewed quiz and interviewed joe and through that process everyone met and started to cohese and here we are you know building that empire from the inside mm-hmm. and or even to ping some uh the wisdom of blue nelson mandela quote that like the strongest systems sometimes are built from inside prison and bondage. And so, yeah, we built it from that place. And the thing that's interesting, Queez was mentioning it earlier, like some guys, I don't remember you said it was arrest and some, some guys is a rescue. And so that's it in rescue. Yeah. And so for me, as I'm doing this work, it's kind of wild because there's mad dudes inside. We met there. 
another one of our brothers who's on the streets right now, I just out there and not even the one we might be thinking about a couple, a couple of our brothers out in them streets and we don't know what is up. And it's dangerous because they, when I got the call about Ben, I thought it was someone else we all know. And, you know, it is these same guys that when we were collaborating on stuff inside, they were sharp, ready to go animals. You know what I mean? Like I was coming in there with just the bare scraps and would, put those things together and really make something beautiful and amazing uh, worthy of noticing. Ben was one of those guys and our, you know, Armand Quiz, all of us here. And now on the outside, it's almost a struggle for everyone for a various reasons as in Quiz situation, just access to work and, you know, protection from disease. And then some, the, the same kind of ailment they went in with, they are now suffering on the outside with no support and hamstrung kind of access to opportunity. So yeah, I just wanted to like, just shine some light on that too. Um, and that Armand's kind of choice to commit oneself to oneself is stabilizing for the project, but also for his life and for his family and all of these things. And is another reason for kind of like capturing it, especially this moment before he gets isolated in treatment to hold on to this nugget of thought um, and work towards it and for it. But Ben, yes, similarly was among us. Ben served 25 years, which is a new, like I, you know, you watch movies and they're like, you're going to jail for life. And I was like, life, what does that even mean? Life's 25 years. So that, I don't know if people even know that, you know what I mean? It's a big deal and you can get multiple life sentences, which is multiples of 25. So you could even get, two counts go down and come out but you are disconnected uh, <laughs> you are just about to be wheeled up to a window but the thing that's kind of messed up is your life and as we talked about your whole way of being the institutionalization gets drilled into your mind mm-hmm. and so this man he went in young and he even talks about himself and we have a recording so hopefully we can uh, unleash that recording from bondage but it's it's a new it was a mission and now it's a pursuit is happening it's Um, a beautiful interview man we are rescuing it and for no reason it's in bondage but he tells a story he's like i have put grandmas to the floor i have told people get down on the floor and i was a bad person Mm -hmm. and i am in jail and i have had other worse stuff happen to him and what he's witnessed and all of these traumas and mm-hmm. loneliness and abandonment and all of this stuff and crying in prison and developing communities and when you move from a max to a min it's not even a blessing because you get separated surgically from your family and it's a demonstration of your lack of control this man has gone through all of this and educated himself earned a bachelor's in prison yep. wrote in prison, got his words into the world, started a magazine, All Rise Media. This man was powerful. He was coming out, going to PSU and get his professorship. Everything was lined up for him and he lined it up and it was not incarceration that did this for him, but was the setting in which he was able to rescue himself. And just due to time and maybe in our our next recording, we'll be able to get more words from y'all. But I actually know Ben less than I know y'all, but I know Ben in a way through all, literally every dude. And just so people know, Ben is a white guy. And so even though being a white guy in prison, he 
was revered by I don't know anyone who did not revere Ben because he was there to do his time. He was there to better himself. He had connections and community. He was raising up young guys who were knuckleheading some stuff around. And that is, as you even heard in this episode, a necessary ingredient in the process of growing and growing together and this brotherhood that forms and bondage. And so he was out and he came, he got out during the Rona and just, it is not the fault of anyone. It is not his fault. It is not our fault, but due to some lapse in support or system, Ben felt alone enough and may not have, I don't know the circumstances about how to try to read the level of intentionality there. And that is not the point because for me, what I realized is this is just the first man to die on my watch. And when I got the call about him, I was concerned that it was someone else and I was shocked. And at the same time, it's really just doubled, quadrupled my resolve to engage in this work, to do whatever harm management is possible. But, you know, the world lost a shining gem. And um, this show and a project I'm working on, Gallery Blue, we're going to get a plaque for his frame. We're going to be able to put his words up and it will be there in perpetuity. Ben has done enough work that will continue to ring through the ages, but it's it is the system's fault and it's going to be a lot of hard work for a lot of people to start to undo it. So real, real quick, Ben was like a real lifesaver. He saved my life. Cause when I was at like gang banging in the pen doing like Ben pulled me out of that. Ben really was like human. And one thing he always said, one thing he always preached was live how you want life to be lived. If that makes sense. It means how you see life and how you want the world to be. You have to live it like that to start it. Had a conversation. Everybody, live life how you want life to be lived. Have you seen the world being? That's how you got to start living. It starts with us. It starts with us. But rest in peace to my brother. You forever miss you, forever love, bro. Yeah, man. I uh, I re-listened to the interview that I did with him while locked up. And it, it's probably, I think, one of the best interviews I've done. Right. Um, and another point just on Ben, besides just helping the youngsters, he worked eight years at OSP in the hospice unit. So he saw life from so many different angles on an institutional level that is uh, a life experience, ironically, that's can't really be duplicated in many other ways. But um, definitely um, thinking about- Let them right know now, what hospice is. No hospice, yeah, it's, it's for where you die. So it's for when- when guys are in the middle of their sentence or maybe they have natural life in jail, which means they ain't ever going to come back, no matter what appeal, no matter what, you are going to die in prison. And Ben helped and that really shaped him. And when I listened back to the interview, he explains a lot about how that experience of working eight years in that unit helped him understand life. So through that, it's helping me understand life for sure. We got a lot to live for, guys. For real. Yeah, so we got to keep his work going, man. And that's, yeah, all that. I mean, that's why I'm here is because these, this reality and these stories, I'm almost, I don't think I can say I'm a viewer anymore, but I'm a participant, but I don't have the embodied uh, knowledge to, to help other people understand what needs reshaping. So thanks guys for sharing your experiences. And it, it gave me inspiration for maybe what our next recording can be, which will be in two days one day after Armand's court is to talk about the systems because there's systems that like control us and then there's systems that we build. 
And I think the dichotomy between those things is interesting. And I think maybe even always on the show, we have a lot to say, but there's more nuances than we can even cover for boon and blessing on both sides of those things. And maybe that'll get elucidated in our next step, but we're hyped to be back. We made it through the ages. We made it through the Rona. We made it through the Trump. Today's the inauguration. I didn't check the news. We might be burning already. I'm not sure. Who uh, knows? But y'all, you want to sign out? We're out of here. What do we got? Right. Misfit. Misfit, Adi. 10 can phone. We back. Reloaded. With it tough. Pretty boy Pustos. Let them know we out of here, man. You already know it, bro. Quarant- Quentin Quarantino out here. Armand. Dot push. If you want to find me on whatever, I don't even care at this point. I'm just happy to be alive. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Tell me something, the artist. I don't even think we're out of here. I think we're just getting started. So uh, thanks for being along the ride, listeners, and follow this train to the moon. Hey, man, follow Pretty Boy Puto. Free, free the game. Take care of fall, man. We got to free the game, eh? Take care of fall, man. They can't stop us. <laughs> well, the next step. See y'all on the other side. Deuces. You are listening to the 10 Can Phone Podcast, where you can hear about the influence incarceration has straight from the sources. We tell the stories from the inside out. So make sure to check us out on cable community radio every first Tuesday at 10 a.m. You can also check us out on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you love to catch your podcast. And make sure to give us a follow over at 10canphonepodcast.com. And follow our Instagram at 10canphonepodcast. This Misfit Adi signing off. Hey.